John, are we live? We are live, sir. What's going on, buddy? Not too much, my man. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad we got the internet working again. Um, for those of you listening and watching, uh, the last two weeks, we had a little bit of an internet issue because the building changed our internet, unbeknownst to us. And John and I made probably 200 phone calls to Comcast before they actually came in about an hour before our two guests got in and actually put the internet in. So hopefully we're streaming well today with no interruptions, with perfect internet. I think we are. I'm looking at my screen, and it looks like there's no interruptions. There we go. Yeah, well, so far, so good. Problem solved. <laughs> um, what's going on? You got some shout-outs before I get into these two? Well, before I do, do you have any shout-outs? No, because you, you asked me before the show to come up with some shout-outs, but I was running around like a madman. <laughs> so I don't. I'd shout-out to Comcast, but they fucking suck. Sorry. <laughs> don't cut our feed while we're on, but that, that was like the most stupid, atrocious... Um, process of getting internet I've ever had. I concur. So shout out to AT and T, not Comcast. But we are here. <laughs> we are all here as now. well, so we can take a sigh of relief. Now we don't have to worry about it. Hopefully, it'll come through nice and easy. It looks like it is. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, so shout outs. I do have two. Two. Uh, about the f- mm, gosh, we've been on the earth quite a while now. I guess it's been four or five months that I brought to light a story about a gentleman uh, was in an airplane crash. Oh, yes. Brody. Brody. His name is Brody Burnell. This gentleman, uh, 20, 21 years old, has had, I, I, I can't even count how many operations on both hands, that many operations. It's just, he's just gone through hell. But got an update on him. I have a picture of him on the screen right now. He is sitting up. He is actually now able to walk with a walker. And from time to time, he's able to just use a cane. His balance is getting better. Uh, his speech, he's just going through an immense amount of uh, therapy, physical and otherwise. Um, and I just wanted to shout, shout out to him uh, for staying strong and keeping his head up and day by day a little bit stronger. And I just think it's great what he's doing uh, to better his life. And uh, he'll be back at work and out and about slowly, but uh, soon. And I know Brody's uh, family watches. This is a pretty good topic for his situation. I mean, a guy who was very, very young, got into Mm -hmm. a you know, a plane crash, uh, thankfully survived yes. and has been going through so much rehab to get to a much better place than he was obviously Indeed. just right after the crash. So yep. shout out to him. Absolutely. Uh, second shout out. I was reading an article, uh, earlier in the week. We're all aware that in Northern California, there have been horrendous forest fires started by a campfire. Um, and there are two young ladies, Sarah Malima and Morgan Blavsky. They put together a brewery tour of some local breweries uh, and are headquartering it through a place called Reggie's in the South Loop and sold it out. And they're taking all of the money from that that people pay to go on this tour uh, and sending it to the relief fund there. It's called the Campfire Relief Fund. And what I'm going to do real quick is all this at one When's time. the uh, tour? It is actually this weekend coming up. Oh, cool. So 
uh, Sarah reached back out and said, thank you so much for your interest. We did sell out, but I'm putting now on the screen a, a link that you can go to, even if you just want to donate five, 10 bucks to help the people who have lost their homes, uh, schools need to be rebuilt, libraries, on and on and on. Uh, and these two young ladies, to the best of my knowledge, don't have any uh, personal connection. They just took it upon themselves, put together a, a fundraiser, uh, made it fun, who likes, you know, everybody likes beer, uh, and decided to do something for total strangers. And I thought that was cool and worth a shout out. Well, you like 10 up me today because I didn't even have a shout out. And then you have forest fires and obviously Brody's family watches the show. And we've, uh, we've been talking about Brody off mm -hmm. air and I'm glad to hear he's doing better. Absolutely. Yeah. Last so. time we spoke, you know, I know it was very, very fresh. The crash had just happened. So it was, it's cool yeah. to see him doing much, much better. And absolutely. Looked so like he was playing every, video games. every few months, um, I, my end game is at some point, hopefully this year, we can do a, a FaceTime or a Skype with yeah. them and just say hello and introduce them to our wheelhouse nation. That'd be awesome. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. That's all I got. All right. Well, this show is going to be pretty awesome. I've posted about it on social media a couple times. Uh, both guests are close friends of mine. Both are people I look up to a lot and I've learned a lot from. The topic of happiness is something they've both taught a lot about to me. And I'm super excited to delve more into it. I'll start with you, Brad. He's a good buddy of mine. He's an author of a book. John, I'll show it now. Um, Finding Your Way to Happy, 25 Individual Lessons for Life. Is it on the book? I don't want to move it. Okay. Um, Brad authored this book uh, in 2000? 2012. 12. Uh, I read it, I don't know, about four years ago. Started reading it again last night and started marking mine up and there was so much I gained the second time from reading it so after we finish chatting to Brad today go order Brad's book because it's kick butt it's an easy read too it's a quick read it's an easy read um thanks for being on the show I'm honored to be here I want to do this for a long time um we also have Lawrence uh there's gonna be more round table than um than usual Lawrence Dunning who's a good buddy of mine he's I think this is his third time on Wheelhouse um, he's an entrepreneur, he's a business owner, he's also the world's in most interesting man, the real life world's most interesting <laughs> man. Um, and he's framed his life around the idea of happiness and he's made some incredibly difficult life decisions to, to change and shift his life um, to make sure that he's always happy. So, you know, I always say I'm the type of person who's had difficulty in making large life decisions. And Lawrence has done that many times over to make sure that he lives a happy life. So I'm excited to hear about both their thoughts on happiness. I'll start with Brad because Brad, I'm fascinated about what made you want to write a book on happiness. Right. So I was thinking about that a lot actually before I came on the podcast and I was trying to think back to when I was younger and what led to it. And I think I've always in my life just been fascinated by, you know, what goes into a happy life, what goes into a life well lived. And I couldn't say that I really had things figured out when you're younger, when, you know, you're still figuring things out on your own. But I think one of the best things that I ever did in my life was just to start a journal. And I actually started late. I started in my 20s. But I started writing stuff down about life that I just thought was interesting, lessons that I've learned. And it was never for public consumption. It was just my own individual review to look at it, to see how I can learn from it. And then they just went on over the years. And 
as I can get into later, there's been a couple of times in my life where I've had a lot of time off work, so a lot of free time on my hands. So the more I would write about it, the more I'd see all these lessons. And I'd said, you know what? This actually isn't too bad. Like, I wonder what other people would think about this. And a lot of times when I'd talk to people, give them advice, they'd say, you know, you really know a lot about life. You know, you should write a book one day. And then I looked at this journal again. I was like, well, I have a lot of content here. Is it possible at all? And it was kind of the perfect confluence of events where I was ready to write something. I had this content there. And it was really where technology was easy to publish things on your own. We didn't have to go through the normal traditional process. Yeah. So I was like, maybe this is something I could look into and do. And it took a long time because I really wanted it to be good. I just didn't want to put something out there that I wouldn't be proud of later. So I did it painstakingly, really, one lesson at a time. It took years. Again, we'll get into this later, but something that I had people review, including Lawrence, which I feel so bad about it now because he had to edit it, and it must have been so painful, those initial drafts where just my writing wasn't even crisp or good yet. And then it got to the end of the process when I was ready to publish. And once I put it out there, I was like, you know what? This is something I could actually be proud of for life. Yeah. And now when I see it and when I hear you talk about, you know, I reread your book last night. I made all these highlights. And I learned stuff from, like, it just gives me the best feeling. Like, I could care less how much money I make from this book. Like, it's, it's peanuts every time I sell one. But just when people say, like, I read this and it helped me with this or that, that's the best feeling. And it totally vindicates all the hard work and stuff I put into it. And to touch on that, when I read it, I was in a different place in my life in 2012. I was, I think I read it four, maybe five years ago. So that's 2013, 14. Very different place in my life. I don't even think I had started Main Street yet. I was obviously in a long-term relationship at the time, and I read it as Mo back then. And right. now I read it now as a very different person. And I gain a lot of information from it again, but with different perspective. And like you said, as life goes on, your perspective right. to happiness changes. I think that's an incredibly great point because, and that's kind of why I said, uh, I talk about in the book, like timeless lessons, because these aren't like, earth-shattering things that I'm, that I'm talking about in this book. You know, it's some th things you learn like throughout your life that are pretty common sense. But like you said, I think what changes is the kind of person you are when you read this. And a lot of times I talk about, you know, this isn't just me telling you, okay, learn this lesson and then you know it. Most of the time you have to go through your own experience and learn it for yourself. But then when you read something like this, you could say, oh yeah, I do remember this. This rings a bell about how I approach this decision or how, you know, I go through this part of my life. And that's where it could help you. It's not just read this and you're done. It's you're going to have different life experiences. You're going to be a different person. And I even revert to it, even though I wrote it, like I'll still read it now and again. And it helps me re-know certain things about my life and like decision I have to make. And so it's been like a helpful guide. And that's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. And your yeah. life, I mean, from when I've known you, when we first started knowing each other till now has changed many times over incredibly yeah yeah i mean even in the book i talk about you know like a lot of times like i refer to like my loving wife and things like that and like i've since had a divorce like four years ago so, so lawrence always jokes that's and he's why like why yeah brad needs to do a second edition because <laughs> what he tells me because <laughs> there's there's so much things that obviously still apply but since he wrote it to now brad's evolved so much and that's why i wrote something about this show this morning on facebook and what i said is Brad, when he started this odyssey, what I would say, when he when he stopped his, he had a very well-paying banking job in New York. He wasn't happy making all this money, but he was very unhappy. So he gave it up and he went to South America. And that's just when we met in Argentina in 2004. And when you, when you published the book, was it 2012? Yeah. 2012. So from 2012 to now, seven years, Brad hasn't stopped. Like the whole point of, of entrepreneurs and, and people that strive is you're never happy. So you're always trying to evolve in a... So in the last seven years, Brad still was, it's a, it's a never ending process. Like you said, he's still working on, on things and he's been through certain life situations. So that's why I'm bugging him for the second edition. Cause I think there's some things that he could evolve and change that has happened to him that will just make it better. So I think for you, you've evolved a lot in the last seven years too. I've known you for, you know, going sure. on that long and you've evolved a lot. What do you think 
so if, if Brad was to do, let's say, like a second edition, how, how do you think his evolution, what do you think would well, change well, in like a second edition? I think the big thing is he, I don't want to say he was smug because he wasn't smug, but when he wrote the <laughs> book, he was very, very happy. Everything in his life was great. And then since then, you know, for instance, going through a divorce, there was some personal challenges there because um, Brad's a good guy and he wasn't like some people, he had a very amicable divorce. It was very, um, there was no like real nastiness that you see uh, among other people. And I think that he learned a lot through that. And I think he's also at a stage now where he's in a financially a much better place. So he could talk about his goals are changing towards more when you're, when you're, when you take care of yourself and you're doing well financially, then you start thinking more about altruistic things and charity work and all that stuff. And now he's talking more about that. So I think he's, he's just evolving. We're always evolving as people. Um, so that's why I think he's, I'm bugging him for the next edition. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're going to have to edit it. I actually didn't know that until recently that Lawrence he, was doing some editing work on it. He, uh, so I gave it, <laughs> when I had the, the initial rough draft, I gave it to three people. I gave it to Lawrence, I gave it to brother, and I gave it to uh, another good friend of mine, Dave from college. And they all gave great comments, but Lawrence, you could just tell the way he went through it, the amount of notes, the amount he marked it up, which when I first saw it, I was like, what is this guy doing to me? Like, he's totally killing like, He's I'm not, writing I, his own he's, book. He's totally shattered my confidence. I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? It was like complete red ink everywhere. I don't agree with this. This lesson is BS. I was like, oh my God. I was just, <laughs> That's I was very like, Lawrence-esque. <clears throat> but what he talked about, I remember him mentioning this in the first podcast too, is yeah. I really did, it sunk in and I was like, you know what? And this just speaks to the kind of friend that Lawrence is. It's like, he's not doing it to be a jerk. Mm -hmm. You know, he's doing it because one, he knows his stuff. Two, it's ultimately going to help me. And he's doing it because he wants me to put out the best book possible. And that's why he's such a great friend is he just wants me not to, to be a, my best personal self, to have the best book, whatever it is. And so once I digested everything and actually like took the time to sit down, I'm like, okay, I can make these changes. And like I said, now when I look at the finished product, I was like, he had a huge hand in that to make it what it is to like revise his lessons. But, Lawrence, you're one of those guys, and I'll touch on this real quick. He is my biggest critic, but in a way where he, it's coming from a loving place because he wants you exactly. to be better at and, everything you do. But, but see, that's always hard because it's kind of like, if you know your friend's girlfriend's cheating on him, he's not really going to be very happy for you to tell him, but of course you have to tell him. And it's kind of one of those things, not that that's in your case, but like we, say, we, don't, <laughs> we don't have a girlfriend. We have a revelation here. But, but I, meant, I meant in terms of just constructive criticism. And I remember, you know, Brad, for all his accomplishments back when he wrote his book, he had never wrote a book before. So of course, and I'm a huge reader and I've read a lot of books, so of course I'm going to judge it very harshly with high standards. So that's why I was brutally honest. I said, if this was my book, these are the changes I'd make. And, you know, some he agreed with, some he didn't. And the same, like we talked about having successful people, having people to be accountable to. So that's the same with you. Like, I feel like I'm that person in your life where you don't ask me for the advice, but I give you unsolicited advice because you're a mentor for so many people. You know, who, what, what is it, isn't it? Who, who guards the guardians or something, some yeah. phrase. Who, who's your mentor? You know, who's, who's keeping you accountable? Because you give so much, it's depleting your energy. You need someone to, to make sure you're taking care of you too. So... I feel like uh, I know sometimes I say things. I apologize now no, no, for things that I said in the past and things I'll say in the future. You don't want to hear, but I ha I feel like it's my duty as, as a good friend to do that. We appreciate it, both of us. So getting into like the nitty gritty of finding happiness, I know one of the things for both of you that has uh, kind of been a a big pillar of happiness is not getting caught up in the rat race. Right. You know, I'm very much caught up in it, and I think it's probably a large part of my annoyance with life so brad i'll go to you because you've yeah. traveled to south america you've really <clears throat> lived the don't get caught up in the rat race right. so so i'll, I'll basically it. tell my story about how i got to where i was with that so 
like all of my life, I've just, I've been an ambitious person. I've wanted to do well without actually knowing the reason why, like wanted to be successful, make money, you know, be seen as successful. So I guess really starting in late high school and college, I was just so driven to get good grades because I figured if I got good grades got at a good university, I can get a good job and I can make more money. But again, all this time I'm doing this, just going through the motions, not really understanding why I was doing these things. So right out of college, I got a job in investment banking um, in New York City. And from everything I've heard, a lot of people went to school and said, you know, you go to investment banking, that's how you make the most money. It's the hardest job. You're going to work the most hours. None of that fazed me. So basically, I did it for four years. It was easily the most stressful time of my life. I was working 100-hour weeks, and I even had it easy compared to some people. So at first, I was like, wow, I'm doing really well, and everybody says what a challenging job this is, and I'm killing it, so I must be really successful. I'm doing great. But as time went on, after two or three years, I just really became miserable. And I was just, I couldn't figure it out. I was saying, you know, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm supposed to be making money and I'm supposed to have a good job. You know, what, where is the disconnect here? And I still remember these nights, like I would go with my brother to Starbucks and like after like an exhausting week and like we'd talk about things, we'd read books and I would just say, man, there's, there's, there's gotta be more to life than this. Like I make all this money and I'm just not really happy. Like what's going on? And so I finally got to a breaking point where I just couldn't take it anymore. I was so stressed out. I just felt like my health was deteriorating and I just, I just couldn't, no matter how much they paid me, they could have doubled my salary to like stay another year and I just couldn't do it. How old were you? Uh, I was 26 at the time. Young, okay. Yeah, I was in about four years of college. So when I was in college, actually, I never took advantage of studying abroad or doing anything like that. I never really traveled outside the country. So I was like, okay, if I'm going to leave work, I want to do something that really revitalizes me. That's kind of cool to do. And, you know, take a trip somewhere and just maybe like study a foreign language. Like that would be a really cool thing to, to get away and do. So I was, I was set on going to Mexico and I was like, you know, it's kind of safe. It's not that big of a deal. Like I can do that, learn Spanish. And literally that same friend, Dave, who I gave to my book to make comments on, I, I said, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I know you've traveled a lot. What do you think? He's like, yeah, he's like, you know, Mexico would be cool. But I just had a friend who went to Argentina and he said it was amazing. So maybe you should consider that. And I was like, Argentina, it sounded like another planet. I was like, South America. I was like, this sounds so crazy. How am I going to do that? I don't even speak Spanish. But I took him up on his word, and I said, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do something really adventurous. So I did it, got on a plane, didn't know a word of Spanish, and I was like, well, good or bad, this is going to be something. I'm going to, you know, come out of this and hopefully learn something and do well. One-way um, ticket? Uh, One-way ticket, yeah. That's crazy. And there was, and I could talk about this more, but I, I find it so interesting. So I went into this with so much fear and self-doubt because one in that kind of industry in finance, when you leave work for a certain amount of time, people are like, well, how are you going to get another job when you come back and you got to interview and people are going to look at this gap in your resume and you're going to be screwed. And so I was like, man, am I doing the right thing? Like, what's going to happen? And so I look back and I'm proud of myself that I got over that self-doubt to even do it in the first place. And I just remember, it was like a couple months in, like I struggled the first with the language. I was taking lessons. Like it was hard to make friends because you don't know anybody down there and you're kind of figuring out a new culture. And there was just one day, I remember it was like so sunny outside. It was like, it was summer there, but it was winter back in the U.S. I was walking down the street and like I was using my Spanish and like things were kind of falling into place. And I just remember this overwhelming feeling came over me. It's just like, wow, like I did it. Like I took a big risk and it's like it's working out. And it's just that moment has played such a big part in the rest of my life as far as like taking smart risks and not and note and identifying when you're not happy with something and doing something about it. And as far as like the tie in with work. So when I was down there, Argentina, it's, it's a third world country in a lot of ways. Yeah. Like it's not, you know, you don't need a lot of money there to be, to live well or anything like that. And the whole time I'm traveling down there, like I barely have anything. I have a couple of books. Like, I got my iPad or my, excuse me, my iPod back then. It was so long ago. And just these very few basic uh, essentials, like complete contrast to when I lived in New York City and had like all these nice things and was spending all this money. And I was like, there is absolutely no difference in my happiness. Like I could live this way and I need so much less than I thought. 
And it's like, I didn't choose that. It just was the circumstances that I wound in because I had a problem, I was unhappy. I did something about it, not knowing how it turned out. And it actually forced me into realizing these things about what I actually need to live a happy life. So that was really the first step that led kind of on this journey to like really getting into happiness and, and figuring out what leads to a good life. But it was the bad experience in banking and that kind of work that I was doing that, that kind of took me out of my ambition and made me really think, rethink things. And how long did you stay down there? I was down there for three months. I took a break to come back, and then I went back there another three months, so really six months in total. Six months. And yeah. that is, that's, that's yeah, a very bold thing to do because yeah. I'm, I have friends that were in investment banking. They were sleeping underneath their desk. They were showering at yeah. work, and uh, they hated it, but they probably would have never had the self-awareness at 26 or in their 20s. Like, this is miserable because society told them, go make as much money as you can and maybe you'll go to private equity after investment right, banking. Exactly. There's a track that you're stuck on and that's how you got to go. So mm. kudos to you. And Lawrence, you did similar thing to him. You left a very successful business to go right. pursue your passions. But even, even before that, because um, you talk about it's hard to leave when you have something good. And uh, I left, you know, I was 23, I think, 24 when I got my first bonus at my trading company. And it was, I remember it was $100,000. And my brother was like, oh my God, you're killing it. My older brother, it's like he wasn't working at the time. You're killing it. That's so great. And I was like, really? I made them, you know, a couple of million. They give me, you know, less than 10% of what I make them. That's actually not great. So I took a big risk to leave that and then, and then start trading. But it was kind of the same thing with Brad. I remember towards the end of my trading career when I was a little stressed and we, we'd already become friends. He was back in South America in Peru. And he would send me these emails like, oh, I did this three-day hike and we saw some condors. And he's like, oh, I'm having a great time. And I'm like in this aircraft hangar with no natural light, stressed out of my mind with these huge trading positions. Um, so it was that same kind of thing where mine was a little bit different because I actually did enjoy trading. I enjoyed the intellectual challenge. I love the people I work with, a lot of camaraderie in, in the trading floor. So I did actually like it, but I realized that there's, there's doing something that you don't like and it's very hard to stop because it has a lot of great things like money, for instance. But there's also, there's when you have other opportunities that you know have a timeline. So I had a very, I had to leave because I had athletic aspirations and I was, I just turned 30, I remember. And I was like, I'm 30 years old as a male. I have a small athletic window to do something, you know. So that was a little, I think if I hadn't left trading to do that, I probably would have stayed a bit more because I, I was my own boss. I could take as much vacation as I liked. I made good money. I enjoy what I did. Yeah, I was stressed out of my mind sometimes, but it wasn't doing something I don't like. But I think that the fear that drove me is the same as the fear that drove Brad to leave banking. It's, it's the fear of looking back with regret at missed, missed opportunities and missed decisions we made. And I think that that's why when Brad and I met, um, it's a funny story because we met my trading partner he was like, I'm going to South America. And he had met Brad once through a mutual friend who we used to trade with. And he was like, I'm going to stay at this guy's place in Argentina. And I was like, oh, and I was going to meet him too. And he's like, well, just come and stay with my friend. I'm like, I don't even know this guy, I guess. And then he's like, oh, and by the way, I won't be there for a day. So you've got to meet him without me. I'm like, what? I don't even know this guy. I've got to meet this guy. I was like, I don't want to meet this guy. And it was Brad. And I remember he was saying later on, he's like, yeah, I said the same thing. My friend's coming. I don't want to meet him. And I remember we met and we probably spoke for... I don't know, 20 minutes. And I was like, I love this guy. He's such a kindred spirit. Just the way he, his outlook on life, the way he thinks, the way... And it was just when he was at that time where he was incredibly thirsty for knowledge about everything. And that's why we just we just completely hit it off. It's interesting because it's... Brad, you've kind of touched on the idea of taking a mini retirement right. before, right? So uh, 
my passion is obviously auto racing, so I don't have enough money to go take a mini retirement and go do that. I've throughout my life wanted to walk away from work because I'm totally stressed out. But do you, I mean, Brad, I, I get you were very, very stressed out at work. I don't think you probably loved investment banking, so you went. But back to Lawrence, Lawrence, did you do you feel like maybe you would have never taken that break if it wasn't for the fact that I know you won the Golden Gloves, you got into pro MMA. If you didn't have that, do you think you would have always just been trading and then eventually got miserable of it? I think definitely, I would have definitely ridden it out longer and made made a lot of money. But now, because the business is gone, it's all evolved to high-frequency trading, I wouldn't have been able to ride it out for more than maybe five or six years. So it didn't make a huge difference. Um, so I think that I was if it wasn't me leaving, I would have been forced out. So I would have had to reinvent myself anyway. So I saved myself the pain of that. And a question for both of you. Do you think, obviously, because you were both young and didn't have families, it made it quite a bit easier, and maybe I'll ask well, Brad yeah, first, to actually do almost a mini retirement? 100%. Yeah, that's right. actually one of the things I was going to say. I think Lawrence made a good point is there's certain things you have to recognize at a, at a point in your life where just like, I have to take advantage of this now because I might not be able to do this later. Mm-hmm. And it's still, that's sometimes those aren't even easy decisions. Like I think Lawrence, what he did with being a professional fighter, giving your training careers, like it may sound easy in retrospect, but I'm sure it wasn't at the time. There's a lot that goes into it. And the same, like me, when I said when I left work, it's like all these doubts about can I get another job mm-hmm. and things like that. So I think in your life, especially younger people have to look at it as like, can I do this? When I have a family, am I going to be able to do this still? Maybe not, you know? So you do have to look at it. And the way I kind of analyze things, like I actually make a list in the journal I have now and I just say, you know, what are the regrets I have in my life up to now? And one of them was, you know, that I didn't go away in college to study abroad that a lot of all these people took advantage of. And I was like, have I made up for that? Yes. You know, I, I, I took time off work. I traveled, did this stuff. So what are the regrets I have? And is there a way for me to make up for it? If you didn't take advantage of time, maybe there's a way for you to make up for it in some way later. So, um, but I think you do have to take advantage when, when you have the chance. But, but I think yeah. that, that people use that as a crux. Um, oh, I can't because of this, because of that. And you can always find excuses why you can't. And I think that I'll give you a perfect, a beautiful story. Um, I met a, a great guy. He's one of um, his wife is my one of my wife's best friends. He was he lost his job. He had a young daughter at home, and he was married. And he said he had a, an idea with um, Call of Duty, the game, and he was very very good at it. And he wanted to start a team just when e gaming was kind of taken off. And his wife supported him while he started this. Had absolutely no money, putting more credit card debt on his credit card debt already, and now he you know he. He, I think he just optic gaming. You can look it up. He's, he's worth um, millions and millions and millions. But he took that risk. And the point was that he could have easily said, oh, I've got a young daughter. I've got a wife. I can't do it. You know? But he said, no, I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, I've got an idea. I think I can make it work. And he's unbelievably successful now. You know, he's in Texas. He's, um, he's consulting all these other sports teams on how to build an e-gaming wing. Um, he's, he just got some huge award for the, the, the biggest entrepreneur in, in the Dallas area. So I think that he's a great example of someone don't use excuses because you could say I've got 60 people at my, at my if you if you hated real estate, for instance, as an example, I've got 60 people relying on me. I can't because of this or I've got, you know, you don't even have a wife and kids at home, but you can always find excuses not to make changes. And I think it's our duty to ourselves. And also like would 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 a wife want her husband doing something he hates that's crushing his soul every day just to bring home a paycheck, or would she rather maybe they'll they'd have a year or two of tough times while he pursues something else, and then have a lifetime of wealth and happiness doing something he likes? I mean, it, you kind of touched on almost. I mean, the gentleman you're talking about, he's an entrepreneur, and it 
anytime you open a business, you're taking yes. this sort of risk. Exactly. I, I spoke to somebody yesterday who came in the office and she's looking to open a totally different business. And the coaching session we had turned into how to grow that business. And on her way out, she said, I'm scared. And I said, what's the worst that's going to happen? It fails and then you're eventually gonna restart. You've lost some money. Yes, it's very, very stressful. I said, but if you don't do it, you have a 0% chance of success. You know, there, there's no way you're ever gonna be successful. And I told, and she walked out and she goes, you're right. And I was like, you know, it's getting over fear, I think, the way you guys have done it to kind of change your lives and live your lives, I've never been able to do that with my life. I've done it with a couple different businesses, always overcoming like what happens mm -hmm. if I fail, but I've never done it in the change my life to have more free time way. Right. So it's, you know, it, you know, it's, this is naturally progressing into a lot of things that Brad, I know, touches on a lot in his book. You know, the idea of life cycles, you know, as I become older, what's making me happy? Because things right. change as you become older. And I, but I think that's my, so I always said, I have a lot of different idols, people I look up to. The reason that Arnold Schwarzenegger was such a big idol is because he had so many different lives in one life. So he had his four huge different successes. He was a millionaire, real, uh, sorry, champion bodybuilder first, athletic pursuits at the beginning. Then he was a millionaire um, real estate developer investor in San, wherever, some, somewhere in California. Um, and then he he became a movie star and then later he went to politics. So he had four different lives. But if you asked him when he was a bodybuilder trying to win Mr. Olympia, you know, are you interested in, in running for office, political office? He's like, what are you talking about? Of course not. He wasn't even thinking that, but he, he's, he naturally evolved to, to want to give back to, to, mm. to California. So I think that's the key is depending on where you are in your life cycle. So for instance, if you just start out on something and you don't really know what you're doing and you're working with a company, and you say, I want to be an entrepreneur and I want to do this and that. Well, learn something first. Like, what's, what's your skill? What do you have? I didn't set up my trading company until I spent two, three years with my, my past company playing with their money, figuring out how to do it, learning, having all their classes, passing it. And then I was like, okay, I have enough skills to now go off on my own. So I think, yes, you have to take the right risk and you have to say, regardless, if I, if I fail, I'll rebuild myself, you know, or I'll learn and I'll do something else. So you, you can't let risk stop you, but at the same time, there's a great um, philosophy in trading. Every time you do a trade, you have to say, what is the risk, what is the reward? Meaning, if the, if the reward is small and the risk is great, then you probably shouldn't take it. You know, you wanna have it the other way around. You wanna have, oh, the risk if I fail is not the end of the world, but the reward is high. So I think that there's definitely a time and place to take these big lifestyle, <laughs> lifestyle risks. Right. No, I was just going to add to that. So I'm, I'm fascinated by these life cycles because one like interesting thing I've done and like I think everybody could do is really look back on your life and say, you know, was this part of my life a down cycle, up cycle? Like what made mm. it change? It's just, it's very fascinating. It's almost like you could see it clearly mm. where like I go look back at my life. Okay, this in college has started this nice up cycle. You know, when my mom passed away, I got divorced. Like that was a big down cycle for like five years. The last mm. four years have been great. I've like cycled up mm. and I try to analyze why. And I think to a certain extent, these things probably just happen in the natural flows of life. But you should be okay with that. There's things you could do that make these cycles shorter. Mm -hmm. So I talk to with this Lawrence all the time where if you're doing these things where you're taking good risk, you're improving yourself. Like the very, very rare times that Lawrence, I've ever seen like Lawrence down or like in a bad mood, like I always tell him just like, dude, you still got to do the right things. You still got to work on yourself. You still got to do these things because when it cycles up and it's going to eventually, all these things will pay fruition. And it's like sometimes the down cycle actually spurs you into taking 
making these changes that actually lead to an upcycle. Like the example I gave with leaving work, that was a big downcycle. But because I left work and I took a risk and I went abroad, that was what led to another upcycle in my life where like happy years and it just changed my perspective on things. So sometimes the down actually forces the up by making you do stuff you normally wouldn't do. And I, but I think what Brad said is very important. Um, it's, it's doing the right things regardless of how you feel. So if you're in a bad period right. of your life, I remember I was complaining to Brad about something, I can't remember what it was. And he said, you'll be fine. I was like, why is that? He's like, well, listen, you're working out, you're working hard, your job's going well, you're reading books, everything's good. It's only a matter of time before you feel better for whatever it is because I was doing the right things. But if you're depressed and you're sitting, you know, playing eight hours of computer games and eating shitty food and not leaving your, your apartment, then, well, it's not really a matter of time. You're kind of see, you got to get out. Right. You know? So I think that's the key is. Yeah, and I can be guilty of that too. And one thing, because I'm an introvert, is like when I'm feeling down or in a bad mood, like I'll kind of isolate myself thinking like I can mentally work it out and like figure things out on my own. And that's the absolute wrong way to do it. Mm. The times I'm forced, and, and Lawrence again is great at this, like he'll drag me out or like we'll have like a big chat. And I always say after the fact, I'm so glad I did that, even though I was so reluctant to like meet up with somebody or be social. And you always feel better. Like being around good friends or you know, talking it out always pulls you out of that mood you're in. And remember, like the worst thing you could do is just isolate yourself and be in your own head. I agree. I think yeah. that's something I've learned over time is I used to try to deal with all of my own woes and problems myself. And as I've grown, I've learned that when I have an issue, being able to relate to somebody else or speak to somebody else always brings my mood and my, my feelings up. One thing I've talked to Lawrence about a lot is I... I've taught myself to be relatively happy, not just by saying just kind of happy, but happy in relation to other people. I think about my problems a lot. You know, it might be stuck in traffic or you might be running late to a showing or I might have a bad week or a deal might fall through. And it's okay to be upset about that. But I think about how lucky I am. I look at all the great things I have going on in my life and think to myself, wow, somebody else would love to have my problems. Right. And I've started to trick my mind every time that I'm starting to feel bad about life to think, wow, you know, Lauren said it on the show the last time he was here. He goes, if you can buy a, a, a Starbucks, which we have one on the table, you're in the top percent of people in the world. Mm -hmm. And I try to keep that so relative in my mind. Mm -hmm. I'll throw the question. I think Lawrence is about to answer it. But, Do you guys think that way with happiness? Yes. So what you just said is right. So um, therapists call it reframing. So whatever, whatever's, you basically have to step out of whatever's driving you crazy and making you upset. You step out of it and you frame your situation. You look at the bigger picture, like you said. You know, I'm in the top one percent of the world economically because I bought a Starbucks today. Or you know, you think so. So, or, so nothing. So basically, that's that's a key point with happiness is it's nothing physical that's changing. It's your mind. It's the way you're looking at things. And I think that's the key is. We didn't, we didn't evolve to be happy. We evolved to survive. So our brain is gonna constantly trick us. They're gonna say, you know, if I get this girl, if I get this job, if I make this money, if I do this, if I win this, I'm gonna be happy. But as soon as you get it, you're just gonna be happy for a very short period and then you're gonna, always, adaptability, you're always gonna come back to your baseline, whatever it is. So I think that's the key and, and one, I know why I actually bought it today. I don't know if you can see this, John. Authentic happiness, one of my favorite. I, I've read a lot of, I've read a lot of books on happiness, and the reason I really like this, um, this this one, is because he talks about something that I think we can, every everybody can can do. And Brad, Brad and I and you, Mo, you, we've all been doing this without really realizing. It's you have to figure out what 
you enjoy, what your signature strengths are, he calls it. So for instance, for you, you get a lot of satisfaction out of being an entrepreneur, being a mentor, being a motivator. It, it fits your personality very, very well. Um, and someone like Brad, he's very, um, he loves to analyze and, and work on things. So for him, writing journals and then rewriting it into a book, it suited his personality very well, getting things. So I think that it's not, we have to figure out what makes us happy and then do as much of that as we can. So that was, that's actually the reason that I wanted to, I took some time off work is because I looked at my week and I said, well, what do I, I work, I traded Monday to Friday. What did I do Saturday and Sunday? Well, I try to make up for not training as much in the week. I was at the gym three times a day and I would read books. Well, obviously, so I have a love for learning and I have a desire to achieve something in those sports. So that was my, how, that's, that's the path I want to go to. So I think that's the key is that if, if someone opened the door and they gave you 10 million, you wouldn't just take that money and do nothing. I guarantee you, you would obviously get a, probably a new race car and you'll be traveling, doing racing. Two of them. Exactly. But I guarantee you, you'll be doing a lot of entrepreneurial stuff with it. You wouldn't just thought you'll be doing charity work because you enjoy that. You enjoy you know, giving back and, and, and you enjoy the creative process. And I think that's the key is there's certain things you can do. Like if you work really hard, and you put your feet up and you watch an hour of Netflix, it feels so great because you've earned it. You've worked all day and it's your reward. But that's not additive. You, if, on a Sunday, if you get up and you watch 10 hours of TV, it, you're going to feel pretty crappy. And I think that's the key. Whereas the things, that, uh, the things we should all try and do is that how do you get in that flow state where time can go by and you're not even realizing what you're doing? And I'm sure you get that with work sometimes. I'll sit at my desk sometimes and I've got a bunch of stuff to do with work. And two hours goes by like that because I was really engaged. I was really focused. I was busy. I was doing, and I, and I enjoy that. It's flow states that they're great. That's that's, so so it's less. I think it's less trying to because, it comes across as so, douchey and like oh I'm gonna talk about happiness. I'm so happy. Am I always happy? No, but what I want to try and do is I want to frame my life so as much of the time I'm doing things that I enjoy, or if I'm not, it's a very short term sacrifice. Mm -hmm to do years of the things I enjoy. And I think that's a key point. Yeah. You know, Brett. just going to add to that. So one of the things I've been thinking a lot lately is, you know, what are the kind of the key components that go into a good life? And I just, I kind of broke it down more and say, like, forget about like a good life. Like what makes a good day? Mm. And then if you can make a good day based on these elements you're adding to your life, if you just do that every day for as long as you live, that will in composite be a great life. Yeah. So just like the things he's talking about, like, Getting into flow, like what does that for you? Like, well, you know, all of us do jujitsu. That's one thing I do that, you know, after you're done with class, like you feel great. Like you feel like you're in the flow. So I know that's one component of my day, at least three or four times a week I'm going to have. You know, what else is good? Um, you know, I'm going to put aside some time for reading. I'm going to learn. That's going to nurture my soul. So that's another component I could add every day. I'm going to eat good food. So on and on and on it goes. Over life, I've just added these things to my day that mm. in its whole, it's great. And it's not just like you said, just watching Netflix or doing things like part of that day is a challenge. But every time I go to jujitsu, I have like a low level of anxiety. I'm just like, man, this is going to be a challenge. And every time I'm done, I feel great because I did get over that fear and do it. Same thing with writing every day. When I start out, I'm just like, man, this is a challenge. I'm not great at it. So that you know, involves a little bit of fear. So you add all these mix of things, enjoyments and getting over fears and, you know, having time with, to spend with other people. And when you're done with it, you just, wow, I have a full day of good things I like. I could just repeat this every day for a lifetime and it's I, a great life. I love that because I always coach, figure out your goals and then break them down into what you got to do every week. I call it winning the week to add up as many That's weeks you've race. won, yeah. win as many weeks as you can, you'll win the year, win as many years as you can, you've kind of won life. But, I've never broken the things down that I love doing and thought to myself, 
will win the day or win the week in happiness. I've thought about it in business and entrepreneurship and getting leads, but I've never broken that down in happiness. But yeah, you just win the day in happiness. Right. And that's what Brad said just before we started on air. He said, um, what, happiness is the ultimate currency. Yeah, is that, and that, that's that's true. So you're figuring out how to structure your day to have as much happiness. And I think people talk about momentum and things like that. And I think it really does come um, like Audrey Marcus, the CEO of Onnit. He has a great book, uh, Win the Day. I think it might be called yeah, something like that. Right. But that that's what he talks about. He said he's like, and and um, Jordan Peterson has, has talked about this too. He's like, people are aiming too high. Aim down. And I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Aim down. But I, I've got, you know, some of my wife's friends, they complain to her about their problems. And I'm just like, like this girl. I think com- some of this, them are watching, by this, the way. <laughs> no, no. But I'm saying if a, if, a, if a single girl is a mess and she's like, oh, I want to get a great husband. Well, you're aiming way too high. Forget about getting, forgetting about getting a great husband. Work on the little steps about improving yourself. And I think that's the key is just is really just aim smaller. And then the, all the small parts will add up to the great things. Whereas too many people... They, they find it hard to get started because the goal is, is, right. is too hard or too, you know, well, yeah. they don't know the hundred steps to get to that goal. So instead of thinking about step two and three, they're thinking about step 99 and 100. Bill Gates has the quote, and I think Tony Robbins uses it, we overestimate what we can achieve in a year, underestimate yes. what we can achieve so in a decade. But you yeah. can probably break that down into we overestimate what we can achieve today, mm. but we underestimate what we can achieve. I'm g- know, just going off of what Brad yeah. said, if we pile up a bunch of happy days for a full year right that's completely true yeah and i think about that as far as like personal development you're not gonna you're just not gonna change overnight like especially when you get older these things take time like especially Mm -hmm. changing something your character your routine i'm a very routine person as i've gotten older it feels like you know i mentioned this in a blog post i'm writing about entropy just like the older you get like the forces that harden your routine and like your habits of every day it takes a lot more work to overcome these things to just think you're going to snap your fingers and be like i'm going to be a different person it's just not going to happen that way but don't let that discourage you from not doing it all you don't realize how long life is if you just do a few things each day like a little real world practice mm-hmm. over time it's just it's going to develop into something and you're not going to realize it until retrospect a couple years down the road you're like wow and you look back and that's what makes you actually appreciate how far you've come like it's something i, I give constructive criticism to lawrence thought i was like Bro, you've done so much in your life. Like, I don't know if you actually like appreciate enough where you've come from. It's like you changed careers, whatever it was, four or five years ago now. And it's like, you know, you were so worried about the future things that happened. And it's just like, take a step back to look at how far you've come now in real estate. It's like you realize, like you get caught up in the everyday things and not realize, look where you started from and where you are now. He, he's a top agent in our yeah. office. And when he first started, he was doing like leases. And mm. I tell you, I use him as an example in the office a lot because I get agents that you're one. They're like, I want to be you or I want to be Jeff or I want to be Lawrence. And it's like, yeah, if you saw my year one or Jeff's year one or Lawrence's year one where, you know, I talk about Jeff, he used to go to $500 leases in Glenview and work them back to back to back. And then eventually he built on that and became a top producer. And I look at Lawrence now, sometimes he's like, ah, I'm having a bad month. And if he took his bad month from now and compared it to bad month year one, I mean, he's way ahead of the curve. He's kicking everybody's butt. Right. And I think a big part of that too is like, it's just a part of life, like the psychology of adaptation. Mm. It's like you get used to things, get used to a certain level of success, wealth, whatever it is, you adapted it, and that's how you, like, you view the world and say, okay, and you kind of look from that perspective. And I think the only thing that actually like counteracts that is appreciation for how far you've come. Mm. So I tell them to remind themselves, like think back what it was like, like what you were thinking at that time, like remember like the doubts you had and stuff, and now look at it now, and it makes you appreciate where you are instead of being like, okay, now this is the normal, and now I'm looking forward. And then it's like you never really appreciate and things that, in their entirety. That's the great problem is it's kind of like you. You've already driven what, Ferraris, Porsches, Lamborghinis. Like, 
what gets you excited? My my uh, yeah. Alex, if you're listening, I sent your Alfa Romeo to uh, Mo, and he was like, yeah, because <laughs> because you know, and I think that's the problem is you know you get these levels of success, yeah. and then you you just your baseline goes up, so it's it's very right. very tight. It's like a con- you got to constantly fight it. Uh, yeah. You know, I had a friend of mine who had the car that I just sold, and it was a race car, and I posted it in 2011. I was in the dealer, and his car was in the dealer, and I said, um, can't wait until one day I'm as cool as you know, him. And I have one of these. And then I got it. And I thought back about the post. And I think I even made a post about how, you know, just keep working hard, you'll get to your goals. But then I had it, I sold it. And now I'm like, well, I would never get that one again. I want something else. (laughs) And it's, uh, it's weird. Uh, I guess, relatively speaking, again, with within your own life, I agree. I have to be able to become happy with the journey of where I've come. For sure. And I, I, I don't do that well enough yet because I, I don't look back and say, man, in five years, we've come so far. But I think Tony Robbins has a great thing where he talks about so many, like, and you and I are definitely guilty of this, Mo, where we'll be very, very overwhelmed with work. We might be a bit tired and it'll just be like, you know, after... 80 frustrating tiny little things the 81st will just snap and be like ah you know you and i both both can can explode sometimes and i think that the key is honestly it's probably it's nothing to do with that it's just you just need a a little bit of food a glass of water and to sit down for two seconds and just look not look at your phone it's like the tiniest thing but you forget because you're so in the moment right you know know, one thing i want to touch on is and, and both of you have done this really well because You've made it so you've created a lifestyle for yourselves where you can kind of unplug and go because you have passive income. And we can come Mm. back to this last topic again if you guys want. But Mm. a lot of people have difficulty saying, so the average person listening can't just be like, hey, listen, I'm going to take a month off work because they got bills and stuff. And they rely on the paycheck that comes in to pay their bills. And they just can't unplug because if they do, I mean, I guess they could. I mean, if you really think about it, they could unplug and lose their house, but they can't really. But Practical the practical person can't right. just unplug. You two have both done a very good job of creating lives for yourself so you can unplug. Go to you, Brad, yeah. first. What do you talk about with right. you know passive income versus right. building happiness from passive income? Right. So actually, I think I'm a good example of this because I figured out early on with my earlier story, it's just like I knew traditional, at least like corporate work was not for me. Like after certain those first few years, I was like, you know what? I'm not getting any personal growth, any satisfaction moving up in a company, getting promoted, like it does nothing for me. I, I feel no satisfaction in that. So I knew early on, I was like, I have to arrange something for myself where I get out of this, you know, kind of structured kind of work and do something on my own where I have more time. Because once I figured that out, I realized I was like, it's not money that I'm really after. It's time. It's these experiences I'm having. Time is really the, the most valuable thing. It's not the money. So I just, for so long, tried to figure out different ways, you know, reduce my standard of living. Like I said, when I went to South America, I realized I could live with less. And that's something... I think everybody should do because I analyze like what I actually need, like what I'm spending money on. <clears throat> and once I went through that budget, I realized, wow, I could cut here. I can make these cuts. And to me, every little cut was like another increase in freedom. It's like, okay, mm. I got, I don't need a car. I could walk everywhere. I could do these things. There goes a huge expense. That means I need less money to make, to have more time. That, and that's a great, I'm going to jump in right yeah. here because I always think about um, you two <laughs> and Mo, Mo loves his toys and his treats and he's incredibly, you know, huge goals. And I love that about him. And then I look at Brad and Brad's so good about saying, I don't need this. I re- and I remember when I was trading and he was in uh, Peru, I think he sent me an email and he said, you know, I just realized if I have good coffee, a pair of running shoes and my iPod, I'm pretty happy. I don't need much more than that. And I think so. He's a good example of just cutting all the all the crap you just don't need. It, it does not. It's too much 
effort to get is not creating happiness. And you're, you, and I think I'm somewhere on that spectrum. And there's no right or wrong place to be. It's you're trying to go, you're trying to go somewhere that, that fits your personality and your goals. And I think that, so what he said about freeing up time, one of my favorite all-time quotes from Carl Gabran, the metaphysical poet, he said, they deem me crazy because I will not sell my days for gold. I deem them crazy for thinking my days have a price. And I absolutely love that because it love comes that. down to the fact that for me, when I lost a lot of money trading, I wasn't depressed I lost the money because I knew I could make it back. I didn't care how, I would make it back somehow. What I was depressed about is I knew it would take several years of hard work and I felt like I just lost several years of my life. And that was what, what really upset me. So I think that's the key is that freeing up time to do things. So for instance, if you go back to your original question about passive income, you have to figure out ways to generate income where you're not putting in 60, 70, 80 hour work weeks. So something like Brad and I both own properties and it's, it's not 100% passive because you, you can outsource the management, but there's still things you have to do, but it's very, very easy to manage while you're living a great it's life. It's not a job. Exactly, right. Really quick for those who are listening because tons of people are saying they love this. You guys can ask these guys questions because I can see your questions and I'll frame them to either guy. You could say it's for both guys, for Brad, for Lawrence, for, for me. I'm not a guru on happiness, but... You can ask me too if you want, or John. Um, but yeah, ask us some questions. But you touched on something, Lawrence, the time versus money, and you as well, Brad. I, I am Brad's polar opposite when it comes to when that. Comes like to legitimately that. on spending. I, Brad and I couldn't be any more <laughs> polar opposite on spending than it gets. But, you know, I feel like you're kind of in between us because you're very good about working but also taking time for yourself. And I, it's almost, it's crazy. I'm the extreme bad, you're in the middle, and Brad's the extreme good with right. his time. What do you think, I know Brad said, you know, jot down what, and cut out your, things the things you don't need. need. Right. What do you think for you is the stuff that's an absolute must-have that makes you happy in life? But I think that's a great question because I recently got married, so now I'm starting to think about having a family and things like that. So then that definitely complicates things because then money is more important. I want to, if I have to, pay for my kid's education, college is expensive, all that kind of stuff. You don't even think about that when you're a 26-year-old going to South America. You're just thinking about yourself. So it definitely becomes a bit more complicated what, what I need. But ultimately, I need a bit more than Brad and his running shoes and his coffee. <laughs> but I, and, and the reason I look at both of you and, I, and I'm somewhere in the middle is because, yeah, you know, I do have an expensive car and I do, I do enjoy spending money, but I just don't want to make it. I don't want to overspend and then be miserable trying to catch up for that lifestyle. And I think that Charles Dickens said, you know, something like 19 shillings and an income of um, 20 pounds and expenditure of 19 pounds and six shillings is a happy person. But if it's six shillings the wrong way, it's an unhappy person. And he was talking about, you know, if you, if whatever you're making, if you're relatively happy and you can just make some changes to bring your, your expenses a little, just a little bit under, you're probably going to be quite happy. Too many people are too concerned about the showiness and the nonsense and leasing cars that they shouldn't afford, renting a fancy, going to the, getting a thousand dollar, you know, bottles at the clubs because they're trying to get that look like, you know, that's a, that's a young person thing. You know, we've all been guilty of it, I'm sure. But you know, as you get a bit older, you realize that it's not about impressing other people. You know, I'm, I'm wearing a free jujitsu t-shirt today. <laughs> it's, it's about, you know, trying to be true to yourself. And that's, but that's something that, you know, none of us could say for, for someone listening, 
where where you are on the spectrum. Where do you want to be on these two spectrums? But I think most people in general, if they were a bit more like Brad and they said, do I really need this? Do I really need that? I think that they would be less stressed and, and a bit more happy just by it. It's all about it's funny because Brad and I talk a lot about this. It's once you start something and it's a commitment, Brad and I are always saying, oh, no, it's another commitment. I've got to do this every week now. That's you how know. I feel with everything. <laughs> exactly right. And it's so it's great because you do have to have some commitments, but you also have to have the ability to free up large swaths of time to really you know, pursue things that are very dear to you, passion projects, I think. Brad, when was it for you that you decided to start jotting down what is kind of the bare minimum you need? Because going to investment banking school, you, you said at the top of this, you went there for making money. Yeah. So when was it that you just... Uh, probably, I, I think it was maybe post-South America um, when I really started getting into the journaling. I think I literally can find it um, in a box somewhere in my apartment, like a list of things, like these are the essential things I need in my life. Anything above this is, ex is extraneous and I really don't need it. And it's just like the crazy thing when I looked at this list, it's just none of it was that expensive. And even when I was going over the things of like the building blocks of what go into a good day, not a lot of it costs a lot of money. I think like maybe the most expensive thing is like the jujitsu membership, where there's like a hundred bucks a month, which gives me so much value and Jeez, happiness, nothing. which is like, and that's like the most expensive yeah. thing at everything, mm -hmm. which is nothing. So it's become so ingrained in me to the point now, like every decision I make, even if it's buying something just for myself, I'm just like, you know, am I going to adapt to this? Is it really going to make me like extra happy for having this? And there's some things I'll treat myself with, but it's like, I really analyze it. And just, just last thing though, like Lawrence talked about spectrum and that's true. So I would never criticize somebody like you, like you're a very successful entrepreneur. You have your own business. Like if you want to treat yourself, I see absolutely nothing wrong with that. It's like the people who talk to me and say like, you know, Brad, I hate my job. Like, what can I do to like get out of it? That's when it's more relevant. I think to look at like how you're making your money and how you can free up time. I have a follow up for yeah. Brad. When, when you're breaking down, cause more practical speak yeah. for the people who are watching when you're breaking down what elements of these things make your life happy is, is part of it health is part of it. Wellness mm, is part 100%. of it planning for the future. How did you break down what Brad needs to be happy? Is there topics of things you looked at? There is. So, um, like I said, a lot of it's just been trial and error and just like, you know, 41 years of life experience, but you I mean, don't this, look 41. Uh, thank you, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a good example. So I used to take so much pride in not sleeping a lot, like getting three or four hours of sleep and then, you know, being really productive the next day. And I think like, Oh, you know, look at what I could do. And, Lawrence would sleep for like eight, nine hours. And he's like, oh, buddy, I'm so jealous of you. You know, he could function on a little sleep. And I thought that was actually like a good thing. And it wasn't until like he gave me a great book on sleep. And then I realized, you know, when I was getting like a full night of sleep, how much different I felt. I just felt like a completely different person. And I was like, man, this is actually something I over overlooked before. That's a critical element of well-being. Mm -hmm. Like I feel better. Like everything's easier. I'm more focused. I have more energy. Something I never thought about before. It's just something so easy to do. You just go to bed at a certain time. You wake up, you get eight hours of sleep. And now that's added to my happiness. Like something I would never even think about before. You know, the same thing with training jiu-jitsu or just working out in general. It's like moving your body, whether it's doing yoga, like even if you don't work out a lot, maybe taking like a brisk walk, anything. It's like this has to be part of every day yeah. that I incorporate to my day because I know it makes me feel good. And it's like when I eat, I want to eat something that's healthy and still tastes good. So when I'm done with it, I don't feel like crap. Like I just ate fast food. And then that kind of makes it has like a negative net value. I want things that have like a net positive value. So Chipotle uh, makes me yeah. happy. <laughs> but I think that's he touched on something. The physical health is is number one i think because without health you know we don't have much else nothing else matters no billionaire on his deathbed wishes for more money right he just wants more health and time so i think that's the key what brad was talking about is living living a life uh, before he even thinks about anything else in his day he has the foundation of the health the sleep the diet good food exercise all that stuff 
And then the next level, which I know that I missed that when I started in real estate, the first few years I was super busy and I was hustling and I was building something. I went away from the mental health. I wasn't reading too much. I wasn't really, and I love that. Brad and I are both the same that, you know, if, if people don't like to read, don't read. If you, do, you know, listen to, but I think almost all of us, whether it's listening to podcasts, listening to um, audio books, reading physical books, I think there's a certain enjoyment you get just from our brains are there for a reason, use them. You know, I think so, so you got the physical health, you got the mental health. And then after that, Brad is really good at, um, he's not just cutting back, he's cutting back and he's using his money. He's been reinvesting it the last you know few years, putting it into real estate, buying properties, doing smart things with it. Because every time you're doing that, what you're doing is you're freeing up more time for later where you have your basic costs covered and you can really follow your passions and your dreams. Yeah, it's um, my, my dad has a very simple quote and it's more relative to him now at later life when he's dealing with the stuff he's dealing with is live for today, but plan for tomorrow. And yes. I think you guys both do a really good job of you enjoy every day, but you've planned for a living a healthy long life and b having financial freedom freedom for a very very long time exactly because if you're that crazy headness you're like i'm just gonna go out and have a great time and doesn't that put stuff on my credit cards go bowling all night in the clubs it's great for a few hours and then the next day you're hung over and you've got a big credit card bill so there's there's definitely a balance between enjoying the day and planning for the, for the he's next talking about shows. my saturday nights when i buy 50 <laughs> shots <laughs> and then my sunday morning recently <laughs> Um, no, but you're very good about planning for your future with all your businesses. And I think that's the key is you can definitely have periods where you go out of whack with your balance. So for instance, you know, if you're studying really hard for like when I try to bang out my real estate license in a couple of weeks and you know, probably wasn't working out that much those, and I didn't have much time and I wasn't sleeping great, but I just banged it out because I wanted to get my license and start my new career. You know, you, you can have short term periods where your balance is out of line and you're not necessarily happy as long as for the bigger picture, it's going to bring you more happiness. And I think that's a key point. You know, like back when I was fighting the last few weeks before before a fight, it's not it's really not very fun. It's it's hard. <laughs> your body's you know, cutting weight and you're dieting and you're beat up and everything. But it's worth it because of, of the result at the end, the goal and accomplishing something. So I think that's something too. Don't, a lot of people focus too much on immediate happiness as opposed to putting the foundations to get the future happiness. Right. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Um, and I think you just touched on something. It's building blocks of happiness. It's just build and build and build. And you, you look at happiness. I imagine one day on my deathbed, I'll look back and say, was I happy? You know, I've mm -hmm. talked to a couple of people in my family who are ill now. And, you know, they say, they look back and they say, well, life's really tough right now. And these circumstances are nothing that I ever looked forward to having. But when I look back on my life, relatively speaking, wow, I've accomplished almost everything I wanted. I, everybody's always going to wish they had some more time. Right. Unless you're 100 years old and you're like, well, everybody I know has died now. At some point in your life, you're always going to wish you had more time. Yeah. I think you guys do a really good job of making sure that you enjoy life right now. Right. right. And I, I think and I appreciate that. And I think that actually ties into a lot of the stuff we were talking about earlier, which is, you know, getting these building blocks into your everyday. So it's not all this sacrifice, I mean, there's certain things you have to do to sacrifice to reach a goal, but it shouldn't be where you're giving up your whole life, where you have this image in your mind of like, okay, when I retire, I'm going to be sitting on a beach drinking a pita colada, then it will be all be worth it. Like all this sacrificing and yeah. miserableness I've went through, that's all BS. Exactly. You can't do that. You have to build things into your life that make you happy now. There's no guarantee of how things are going to turn out. And when you get to that point, who's going to say you're going to be happy then? Right. So you have to do things that make you happy now. That doesn't mean you just, you know, you just live a hedonistic life and don't do things that plan for the future, but you have to incorporate some of that in now because you don't know how things are going to play out. 
and that's a lot of like when I talk when Lawrence tells me and, and he coaches me a lot on this, you know, you got to have more passive income and stop spending as much as you do. I've realized that some like life can be very, very short. So some of the right. things that I do with what I spend, I'm like, well, they're making me happy now. And I'm just going to do them because I'll find a way to make more money. And I'll I'm, I want to enjoy part of my life now, not wait till I'm 60 right. to go buy. And I like cars. So I don't buy cars right. in the sense of like, I just want cars. So people are like, oh, Mo's got a nice car. I genuinely cars are my favorite thing. So I might overspend on buying something now because I'm like, yeah, I should probably wait five years. But it makes me happy now. And I could get yeah. hit by a bus when Absolutely. I walk out. Exactly. The door. And Absolutely. That, but I think that's the thing is you're you're a bit of a special case you you know you do love cars you love racing and driving them and you actually get a lot more satisfaction than someone like me who gets a new car and i'm like ah, it's kind of nice but i don't really care. i haven't cleaned it in months i don't really care <laughs> you're too busy it's a mess so i think that's the key is th there's some balance though because i you're right you don't want to be a 60 year old guy driving around in your ferrari like i'm 60 i don't care you know like you want to have it yeah. now when you're having a good time exactly. being single but at, at at some point, but FYI, I don't, I don't want the Ferrari to be single. I wouldn't drive it. <laughs> I wouldn't drive it yeah. down top. That's right. still for me. <laughs> but, but I think, but at some point, you, your work. Anytime you spend money, you're an incredibly hard worker. You're my hardest working friend. So you know you're going to make it up somehow. But the difference between the two of you is that every time you spend a, a dollar, you're making a dollar with hustle and hard work. Every time Brad saves a dollar it's making him Freedom. $15, $20 yeah. down the road because he's investing it in property where he's putting a fraction down. He has the power of compound, of um, bank leverage. He has good cash return. He has tax benefits. He has all these different benefits. So it's not just, that's that's the tricky thing. That's the balance is, yes, you do want to enjoy it now to an extent, but anything you save now when we're all relatively Compounds. young come, comes back so, so much more. And then that extra money frees up so much of your time. So I think that's something for you is, you, you also forget, I'm a, I'm a bit older than you, but the, the desire to crush yourself in your 20s, mid-20s, early 30s, it, it's a little less when I'm, I'm turning 40 soon. I, it, I can do it, but I, I don't really want to do it. Yeah, I, I, think I mean, I'm getting the, there now. Yeah, so I think that's the, why you have to start putting these building blocks, planning for the future, so you, don't, so you can do things because you want to do it, not because you're forced to by your lifestyle for both of you guys you travel a lot and and obviously mm. you know like john and i i traveled a lot last year and john went out of town a couple times but i always feel like when people go out of town we were talking about how we needed a break and we went out of town and we were happy mm. when we're out of town i think traveling makes people happy because they get away from work but you guys also travel in places where it gives you a lot of perspective on life and you guys can go and learn about the world mm. do you feel like building time to go travel has ultimately made both of you a whole lot more happy. 100%. 100%. And I think that's because both of us, we enjoy the, um, th there's different parts of travel. One, you get out of your routine and you just learn so much about other cultures and countries and people. You meet great people. And you, you have all those experiences, which is great. But the key is that you're, you're spending your money on experiences. And I think that's a big thing. When I spend my money, of course, I, I buy physical things too, which I probably shouldn't. But anytime I spend money on experiences, you'll never forget. I, I think we can remember pretty much every vacation we've taken. We'll remember it you know, until we lose our mind or on our deathbed because it's, it's such a powerful memory. The experiences change you, whether it's a little bit or not. You know, I boxed in Cuba, for instance, for three weeks. And I went there and, you know, I'll never forget the conversations I had about communism versus capitalism, people on the street. Like it was an incredible experience. And, and you know, that was 10, 12 years ago. 
So I think that's the, the key is spending money on experiences that change you and make you a better, more complex person versus spending money on something that, you know, some instant gratification and then yes. it dies out. I mean, I, I use that like a, uh, you buy a nice watch, like right, people like right, watches. Exactly, yeah. The first week you wear it, you're going to be like, wow, the, you know, I love this watch. And then, but, but that's a nice watch, but it didn't change you. No, you just not wanted at all. it, so you got it and you enjoy it. But you enjoy it didn't, it. right. So, I, I mean, don't, don't not, you know, I have, yeah, I don't knock them. Exactly. For sure. That's the thing. That's the thing with, that's the problem with these things is you don't want to come, you, you, we're not trying to tell people what to do or how to live, but it's just about we found for ourselves that we both get, and we've traveled a lot together. Um, we get a lot out of traveling and we mix a lot of things. We go into jiu-jitsu tournaments in other countries and we do these things, things that we enjoy because we know we enjoy them. So we've steered our life that way. Whereas some people, you know, Joe Rogan was saying he doesn't want to do foreign pay-per-views because the travel kills him. Like, fair enough. You know, like he doesn't have to, you know. But so, I bet so you I think, Joe would travel to some place to see a different part of the world. With his family, right. But he was just saying that he, he's like, you know, I, I go to Australia and I don't feel good for a week because of jet lag. So, yeah, I'm sure there'll be a time where I notice jet lag hits me more. When I'm in my 60s, maybe I don't want to travel that much anymore. But for right now, if you know it, I think that I just don't see too many people not getting a lot of benefit out of traveling. Yeah. Right? How about you, Brad? No, I, was I know you say, travel a yeah, lot. Too. I think one good point you made is about how it just almost forces to take you out of your routine. It's like yeah. we all have things we do every day. And that's why it becomes easy to make an excuse not to do it. I have this much work to do or there's this going on. I can't do it. But you find once you actually like force yourself and you actually get out there, like I just always think of like I, one thing I love to do in a new city is, you know, get like a nice big coffee from Starbucks and you know, like walk around the city to get to know it or take one of those double decker buses and just like let my mind go totally at ease and just mm. take in the sights and just like, wow, this is a new culture. And like I'm drinking a coffee and I have things to do. It's like maybe tenants can be bothering me or I have this work stuff, but it doesn't matter because I'm just like enjoying this day and like a foreign place. And it's just an amazing feeling. And traveling is just like just embedded as like a thing that makes me happy. But that's yeah. a great thing you said about taking it out of your routine. So all successful people, by definition, have to create routines. The power of routine is very important. And you have to structure your day well to get everything in you want to do. It. I have some of my best thoughts about things I want to do and, and different goals and everything. When I'm either on a plane where I don't have Wi-Fi and I don't pay for it so I can really think and read a book and let my mind wander. Or in a foreign country when you're out of your routine... And you, you get a lot of creativity and ideas just from being outside. So I, I think that's huge. Yeah. Do you guys think, and you're two of my most well-traveled friends, that we in America, with the way we kind of force our lifestyles, are more relatively unhappy than people, other places in the world where you guys go and you just see that they appreciate the, the benefits that's of life? 100%. I mean, yeah, person, I'll, I'll answer person. first, but I mean, Lawrence is originally European, so he knows kind of the European lifestyle is compared to Americans. I mean, we're tend to be more uptight. We work more. We don't have these appreciations. And I think actually, now that you mentioned, that's one thing that traveling has done for me. And I think that's why it's so great is you see other cultures and how they live. Like I said, when I went to South America and I saw how peop happy people were with even very little, yes. it totally changed my perspective. Or like when I went to Italy and how people just linger over a meal and they're drinking cappuccinos and talking yeah. about life. And like, I always think about this. I'm like, I'm going to reincorporate these things into my life home in America. Like I love living in America. I'll probably be here my whole life. But there's these little elements you can add that I think people have gotten right in other cultures. Mm. And it's really yeah. like people who haven't traveled and they try to make like opinions about the world or what other people like. It's like, it's kind of unfair. It's like you don't really understand what it's like until you actually go and experience it and like see the way they live and live the way they live. And I think there's like a lot to learn. And I've been a lot of places, but I haven't been everywhere. And there's, you don't know what you don't know. You can go to, I don't know, Japan or China or somewhere in the Middle East and realize like, wow, I didn't like realize that's a way you could live. And maybe I could like add that part to my mm. life. So that's, I think, one of the greatest things traveling can do for you. Yeah. And I don't want to make this, um, I, I'm, I, abhor politics um i'd stay away from it 
But one thing I'll say is that I know Bernie Sanders seems like a great guy and he had a lot of support from a lot of young people. And I've spent, you know, I, I taught one summer in Moscow, taught English. I spent a long time boxing in Cuba and Brad and I actually went to Venezuela. And we've seen what, when you lose the motivation of capitalism, what it does. And I think that's a great, that the, the, some of the, some of the, the things you get just from talking to people on the street and a lot of time when when you go to these countries if they think we're, you know, i'm from england or that people think i'm american brad's american people will talk to you about certain things i remember when my dad was cycling across iran and some some iranians were saying like it was when bush was kind of starting the middle eastern wars or something and he said like why does america hate us like we're just we're just like we're just like you and my dad said out of all the countries he went to when he went across the world and he was a pilot so he's traveled very widely he said that he thought the Iranians were some of the nicest, nicest people. But you'd never know that if you listen to you know, the US media, right? Because they try and paint the Middle East as America's enemy. And I think it's, so it's very hard, it's very easy to get caught in these um, tribalism way of thinking, you know, whether it's I'm American, I'm an American Democrat, I'm a, you know, whatever it is. And I think when you travel and you see, not only do you realize that people don't need much to be happy, because that's one thing. I remember being in Tanzania and seeing these kids kicking an old can. As a, cause they that's right. I saw in Belize when I was traveling through Belize. Yeah. Kids running around with no clothes on kicking but a soccer exactly. ball laughing. Exactly. They say, exactly. So there's that. They're probably happier than the kids in America who are pl looking at their screen eight hours a day not doing I, anything. They, I was in a van driving, and I, I never will forget this. I was with my dad. We're delivering my sister. I'm literally – we're going to get her to some place in Belize where she was studying abroad. And I was miserable. And here I am in like an air-conditioned van, <laughs> pissed that my family had made me go down there to help her get settled. Mm -hmm. And I look over, and these kids have almost no clothes on. They're running around. They, there's no roof on top of the house they're at. It's hot as hell. I'm pissed that the air conditioning is barely working. And they're laughing, and they're having right. a great time. And I said, wow, how shitty am I to be irritated about my little scenario when they can make fun out of just doing that and, yeah. and that, and that so, so traveling is very good at, about reframing reframing where event. you're at so that's one of the things and the other thing is just realizing that almost wherever you are or not almost wherever you are wherever you are the people doesn't matter what country they're from we we all want the same thing we all want shelter food you know a loving husband or wife our kids to be healthy like we all want the same basic things and i think just on a humanitarian level um, I'm very lucky because I'm from Europe and I live in America. So when I, when I see, I have a, a European mindset, so it's easy for me to kind of take myself out of it. But I just have so many good friends that are either very left or very right politically and they're arguing. And it's like, we all want the same thing. And there's no, you know, you're both wrong because the truth is always somewhere in the middle. It doesn't matter how, which shade of gray, but you're all wrong. So I think on a, on a humanitarian level, it's so good just to, to be with other people and just see how, how things are done. And what Brad said is true. Like the you know, I'm from Europe, my trading company in Europe, I just started and they said, okay, you know, work very hard, you get six weeks off a year. Okay, great. And then they sent me to the US and my boss in, in New York was like, okay guys, you get two weeks off a year. I'm like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> I'm from Europe. He's like, okay, you can keep your six weeks, you'll be okay. I'm like, thank God. But I was like, two weeks off a year? Like, come on, give me some motivation here. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the thing. And there's so many studies. But so that's many the studies. norm in America. Right, that's but, and, that, and, and that's exactly, there's so many studies that people by taking more time off are so much happier and they're so much more productive. And I think that's the, yeah. back to your point. Yes, I think it's a big one. And it's not, the thing is we're entrepreneurs. So we work harder than most people who are punching the clock nine to five, but we enjoy it. So it doesn't seem like work, but you also want to give yourself like we work hard because we have the choice. We don't have to work hard. So we work hard. Does that make sense? We, we have intrinsic motivation and we get motivation from our work. 
But when you're stuck being told what to do by your boss and getting no vacation, your productivity is terrible. Your happiness levels are low. It's, just, it's a horrible way to well, live. I, 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 I go by the rule that any of the people that work for me, like I hired somebody at the law firm and the question was, how much time do we get off? As much as you want, as long as the right. work's done. Yes. Right. Because I'm of the mindset, I agree, that if people are stuck only looking forward to a couple weeks and or at, they have to sneak sick days into their schedule to try to get time off, you ultimately are going to build a cycle of unhappiness where somebody's going to be happy for a couple weeks out of the year or leading up to that, and then they're going to get back from vacation and they'll be happy for a week, and then they hate that. And you right. build a very unhappy cycle. And I mean, that's definitely something that a lot of companies are moving towards. So yeah. there's all these companies that don't they have like three-day work weeks then you work home from home two days a week and they don't even supervise what you're actually doing but when you do that the productivity levels all go, go up. up exactly so i think that's definitely for anyone that works for themselves and they set their own schedule i think it's important to give yourself breaks that's good yeah. advice for anybody who's running staff i mean i do feel like my the people that i work with work really hard for what we do they can go work from home you know Tim Ali can work from home when they want. They can do whatever they want with their free time, go on vacation when they want. But they just make sure things get done. But mm. somebody's not telling them when they can pause or when they have to start again. I think it works. I'm glad. That's common happy. sense. I mean, people want to feel autonomous and like the work they do. As long as the work's done, what's the problem? Right. So I think. So one thing I want to touch on um, so we can kind of flow through the happiness thing is, um, Brad, you touched on this. You said nothing good lasts forever and nothing bad lasts forever. Mm. You know, and I think Lawrence may have touched on it a little bit, but what's your advice to people who are going through a time that is just kind of a crappy time in their lives? Yeah. So like I said, I mean, when I analyze my own life and like how I dealt with certain things, I think when it bad things used to happen when I was younger, when I was depressed or whatever was going on in my life, um, it was just, I was like, well, I just want this to end. You know, you don't know what's going to help you get out of it. You just think like, I feel like crap and I just want to like feel better. And what I've learned over time is that as bad as you feel, and we talked about this earlier, is just you still have to keep doing the right things because it's, yeah. you're not going to feel better right away. But if you don't do these right things, even while you're feeling bad, then you may come out of it eventually, but it's just like you really haven't gained anything. So it's just a matter of time and maybe you know, eventually you feel better, but it's like you need the momentum of like getting these little victories and like doing these self-improvement things that are going to pay off over time. So you know, the first thing I'd say is don't fight it. Like if bad things happen, like just embrace it. It's fine. Like, you know, maybe this is like just the down cycle of your life, but it's not going to last forever. So don't have this negative outlook where you just bury your head in the sand and say, I just like, I just feel like crap and that's it. So just keep doing the right things, even though it's going to be a lot harder because you're not going to feel great. And over time, no matter how long it takes, those good things and those self-improvements you're putting in during that time are going to pay off in spades once you come out of it. And you're a great example of this because you've gone through losing immediate family, you've gone through a divorce. I mean, certain things, losing immediate family is a, it's an inevitable thing. I mean, it's right. the cycle of life. We only have one life to live and that happens. And then obviously a divorce is something that doesn't happen to everybody, but apparently today happens to half the people. What did you find? Was it just going back to your, the fundamental things that make you, ha Brad, happy right. that got you out of that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. So I was thinking back on that and that was definitely my last down cycle. I think you know, if I think my mom passed away in 2011 and uh, I got divorced a couple of years later. So those, that like four year span from like 2011 to 2014 or 15, I would look back, I was like, wow, that was a real downside. I was like, what did I do? So it's crazy. So 2012, um, I started jujitsu, which Lawrence pushed me into. Um, I came out with my book. Uh, I published my book. Um, it was 
doing things with work where I was out of work after my mom had passed away and then I got back at the work a year later and then I wasn't even making good money, but anything I was making, I was really saving. And then Mo, what you helped with is he started the first investment property that he got us into. So while I was doing all these things, I wasn't happy. And I was just, I was never thinking like, wow, these things are going to pay off and I'm going to be so happy down the road. I wasn't even thinking that. I was just going through the motions of like, well, maybe these things are going to improve myself and hopefully one day it does make me happy. And now that I've been in an upcycle for like the last bunch of years, I look back, I'm like, I'm so glad I did these things despite feeling miserable. I'm so glad I started jujitsu. I'm so glad I started investing in, you know, real estate. And now it's like, it's paid off huge because I did it at the time, even though I wasn't feeling great. So I could cite these things and say, okay, like if I would put my head in the sand and had none of these things in my life now, yeah, maybe would have came out of it, but it's like, I really wouldn't be that much better for it. It's compounded. Your yeah. happiness is compounded because you made some bold decisions when you were in a down cycle. Exactly. Yeah. And I, you know, Lawrence had mentioned, you know, you could get upset and watch 10 hours of TV and not do anything to help your life go up. You, do you feel like, Brad, you were bolder in your down cycles in life? Did you make more bold decisions? It feels like it. Yeah. Like I said, I, I use the example of when I left work to go to South America, like I know I was like, man, I have nothing to lose. Like I feel like crap. And so it's just like, I'm just going to do that. And there's like other times in my life, like I did, I was like a D student for a lot of high school. Like I just was in with the wrong crowd. Like I was drinking, doing drugs. And it's like, when that happened, then it just basically like lost all my friends. It wasn't going to get into school. And like my life was kind of screwed. I was like, okay, like I'm going to take certain risks and like not hang out with anybody, just study all the time, which like for, for me felt like isolating yourself in high school is like a huge risk. And it paid off that my grades completely turned around. I got into a great school. So it's like, like I said, I think the seeds of a turnaround are in the down cycle. So it makes you feel like you have nothing to lose. Mm. Even little victories feel significant. When everything's going good, you have a little victory. It doesn't feel that great. It doesn't really matter yeah. that much. So you build this momentum for little victories. And it's like when you're proving yourself and you're adding to these little things. And before you know it, it's like, wow, I'm actually pulled out of it. And you never really know the moment. It's really in retrospect. You're like, actually... This last year has been pretty good, and all this stuff I'm working on is actually reaching fruition. And I guess I'm out of the down cycle, and I'm on the upswing. Do you feel like it's the idea of the risk versus reward, which we talked about? You're like, hey, things are going bad, or it's like when somebody loses their job. I don't have that much left to risk. I'm not happy in this realm of talk. I have to do things to pull myself out, and if those things don't make me happy, well, I'm not ultimately happy right now anyway so let's I, try yeah. it that's the, the advice i would give a lot of people not where it's reckless obviously but right yeah, good yeah. risks you could take mm. and so don't take up a cocaine addiction and go out partying <laughs> exactly so <laughs> so one of our buddies actually like he just lost his job and he's a really smart guy hardworking. and i had like a big chat with him i told him I was like i know listen i know you're gonna be anxious and you could maybe your first thing to, is gonna be like okay i gotta get back to work i gotta find another job and and i'm like well yeah you could do that and maybe that's probably the safe play but listen you've been given a good opportunity you're in your early 30s you know, you're going to be fine. You're a successful guy. Eventually, you're going to find something. Why not take this time now? You're, you're entrepreneurial. You have a lot of ideas you can work on. You know, take a trip somewhere. You like to travel. Enjoy some of this time now because eventually, you're going to get another job. So, like, don't just don't panic where it's just like you're going to miss an opportunity that maybe is like a blessing in disguise that you have to do now. So, it's like you really have to sit down and just like reevaluate where you are and just don't give into that, that panic of like, oh my God, the, my, the sky is falling and this is it. It's like sometimes these things create opportunities. Yeah. So, Lawrence, you want to touch on that? No, I mean, I think Brad, Brad Capital, the one thing I say about opportunities like our friend, if you're single and you lose your job and you're 31, you can do these awesome things. You know, if, if I had a job and I lost it tomorrow, I'm married, I'm probably not going to go to South America by myself traveling. My wife might not be too happy with me. <laughs> so I think that's the thing is it comes down to Wherever you're at in life, you have certain opportunities. They're always going to be there. So where you've got to take them when you have them. And I think that's a really key point. You know, it's crazy. I was, I still am a foreclosure defense attorney. But, you know, when the foreclosures were bad, I dealt with a lot of my clients that obviously 
owning a home and then going into the home being taken away from you is one of the most stressful things, maybe aside from, you know, death. You know, they've lost their job. Now they can't pay the bills. They got a wife. They got kids. What do I do now? And I've watched, and I, and I always watch closely how my clients dealt with this. I would buy them time. And then what did they do in that period of time to pull themselves out? And there's some people who just, they took the bad situation and they said, you know, poor me, poor me, poor me mm. for way too long and then never pulled themselves out. They got out five years later and they're in the same circumstance as they were five years before when I bought them that time. And then there was different people who, of course, they had that moment where they said, I've lost my job. I've lost everything. This is terrible. And they were down. I had people in my office cry to me and, you know, this is terrible. But then I watched after that grief period ended, they started to go back to being the successful people they were in a different realm or they just got back to doing good things. And five years later, they own two homes now. And, you know, I have a family friend of mine who had, you know, an autistic child while her husband had left and then I she had to go that. into foreclosure. And then she essentially brought herself right back out, opened her own business, owns a couple properties. And I watched how this person with no help pulled herself out. And I think it went back to how self-aware she was about herself. She just said, you know, I know that I can do this when and pulled herself out of the rut. Right. But I think that's great. So it's, it's not about the situation they're in. It's about their response to it. So don't, I think one thing I'll say though, is when, when you're in a bad time and you have whatever event that happens, you know, say you, you love your girlfriend and she dumps you tomorrow. Don't fight it. You can be upset for those. So I think the first thing is don't fight short term things. You know, if, if it sucks, it sucks, you know, short term, but then you gotta, you gotta start working. So for instance, our good friend Christian, he was so ahead of his time. He was early 20s and he bought himself a nice condo in the West Loop just before the housing collapsed. Then he ended up foreclosing on it. He just bought another house um, a couple of months ago. So, you know, he was incredibly unlucky. You know, if he had bought that a few years later, the bottom yeah. of the housing market, he would have absolutely killed it. He was incredible. No one could have seen that. Luck. Exactly. So he, he, but he didn't stop that. He didn't, he didn't, that didn't stop him following the right steps and just, and just getting back on the horse. So I think that's very important. No, just one right. quick thing I want to say about both of you is one. So when Lawrence had uh, a rough stretch of trading for a while and he was knew he had to reinvent himself doing something like, from my perspective, I was like, I know he has nothing to worry about. Like, I know the way Lawrence is, he's going to figure something I out where he's going to be successful thing. again. Cause he has that ability to do that. I mean, maybe he was worried about it, has some doubt, but I knew from outside perspective, he was going to do that. Same thing with you before you started your company. And like, maybe you did have some self doubt about what you're doing, but I was like, I remember telling Lawrence, yes. I was like, I wish I could invest in Mo because I know yeah. he's going to be successful. I was like, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. Brad no said, what he does. if Mo is a stock, I wish yeah, I, I would, could buy yeah, it. <laughs> hey Public guys, trading yeah. company, Mo. You guys can LLC. chase quickpay.com <laughs> gmail.com. I'll give you guys all shares. Do you think, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm going to touch on self-awareness because this is something that I've, John and I were talking about it right before you guys came in. And um, self-awareness, I think, is something I've learned as time has gone on in my life. I, I think as a kid, you're, you don't take an honest look at you and think about your faults and what you can improve. But now being in my mid thirties, I'm very aware of my faults, whether it's because people have told me or I've taken an honest look at myself. Do you guys feel that as life has gone on, you've become more self-aware, which has led to your happiness? Brad, I'll start 100%. with you. hundred percent. I'm so glad you brought this up. So one of the lessons I believe in the most strongly and that I'm so proud of like in the book is, is the one that be congruent. Right. And I think knowing yourself is such a huge thing in life and not only knowing yourself, but being honest with yourself. Like there's so many things like we could just bury deep down and like we don't want to address because it maybe brings up a bad feeling or something we're scared of. And so knowing yourself and, and being completely honest about 
the life you're living and like actually analyzing that is like a huge, huge thing. So I agree with, in my situation, like, yeah, I've gotten to know myself like throughout life and it just becomes a little thing you add to over time. So I look back to like, you know, my college years, many years before that, it's like, maybe we'd go out like to the bars or whatever and like act like a tough guy and like, oh, like yeah. I want to be like cool guy. And like, that's just waned over time. It's just like, that's just not me. That's not who I am. Mm. Or like staying really out late, like a couple nights a week. I'm just like, eh, I'm kind of like a morning person. Like I do enjoy getting up early, like a nice workout and stuff Unless like that. Unless Mo like, buys that, shots. Except for Saturday night with Mo. But other than that, it's just like all these little things. It's like in the past, maybe because like I wanted to be cool or popular with certain things. It's like maybe I'm just not the kind of person I fell into myself yet. And now as I've gotten older, it's just like, I don't care about those other like external things. Like I just know the way I am and I've just embraced it more over time. When do you think you became more self-aware? Was there like an age, like age range? Uh, it's weird. I think it's like maybe in my late 20s or 30s. Because what's weird is your, your brain and personality are still developing into your 20s. So I think you haven't right. even like figured out a lot of stuff for that very reason. Um, and I think just through life experience and it took you know, like leaving my work and figuring out stuff that I like. So it probably really wasn't until my early 30s where I had it somewhat figured out. I don't think you ever have it fully figured out, but you mm -hmm. just get more aware over time. How about you, Lawrence? That's You're very self-aware. So just backstep a little bit. It's never too late to really evaluate yourself. So that book that I mentioned, um, Authentic Happiness, the the psychologist, he started, he was he was in his 40s and he was he'd been a therapist for years and he had seen... These, he was taking people that were a complete mess and he thought if he could solve all their problems, they would automatically be happy. And instead of being happy, once their problems were gone, they were just kind of empty. So he And he realized it was the same with himself. He wasn't really happy either. He was in a bad marriage and he, he was staying there because he had kids and everything. And he reinvented himself in his mid-40s and he really took a step back and said, you know, what am I doing wrong? And, and the, the offshoot of that was him co-founding a whole new branch of positive psychology they call it which has started all these books that people are writing on happiness and these topics that we're talking about today so it's never too late um but i think with the same with brad i think it just it's it's a natural evolution as as, as you are from maybe your mid-20s onwards you become more and more aware and just on brad's point brad's a morning person um it's funny because you have guys on your show and they're like oh like tim ferris loves talking about oh what's your morning routine listen if I'm not a morning person, no, I oh, you're a late love, guy like me. Exactly. And I love, you know what I love? I love from 11 to 1. That's me time. No one's bothering me. I can do whatever I want. I love that time. So I don't have a morning routine. My morning routine is I start my day. I just get up and I start work. Your morning routine because is being late, like somebody said who commented, can't believe Lawrence <laughs> was on time. <laughs> but I think that's the key is, so I'm congruent with myself. I know that I don't like the morning. So I'm not going to have a morning routine where I meditate and I levitate and I do all these crazy <laughs> things because I'm not a morning person. So my best thinking is not that time. My best thinking is 8 p.m. on a flight to L.A. for a tournament the next day and I don't have Wi-Fi and I'm like, oh, my mind is soaring. So I think that that comes back to Brad's point is you've got to know yourself. And that's it's something that I think we should always – Brad writes in his journal, I'm big on goal setting and then going – a lot of people set goals and then they don't really keep themselves accountable for it. I'm very good about going back and saying, oh, where, where was I at now? Because your goals are always shifting too. So – not only do you want to set goals, you've got to be flexible in... I was very proud of myself because I had some goals with, with combat sports. And I remember when I had my last MMA fight, I looked back at some of them and there was a few I didn't achieve. You know, I never had a pro Thai boxing fight in Thailand. I got my pro boxing license. I never had a pro boxing fight. But at that time, I was like, it doesn't even matter to me anymore. That side of that, that chapter of my life is closing. So you've got to be very willing to... Not only you set long goal, long-term goals... As you're going towards them, you're always evolving as a person and you've got to have the 
wherewithal to look back and say, well, this is no longer important. Don't just, just because you wrote it down two years ago as a long-term goal, don't do it if you don't want to, if it doesn't, if it's not congruent with who you've evolved into. So I think that's very important. We're always evolving. And that's one of the reasons I love Brad is because it the journey never ends. We're always working on ourselves. What, what what can we always tweaking? What can we do to be happy? So you have a, you have a goal setting, and I know this about you. You have a goal setting book. You have photos in it. Mm. That's almost like your journaling that it keeps kinda, you kind of grounded. Exactly. Yeah. Correct. Yes. And then Brad, you actually still journal? Still journal. Yeah. So um, a lot of that's actually evolved over time, but I think it's something that everybody could do because. I go back every year, like basically have like a yearly review and I go back to the, the entries I've made and say like, oh yeah, I forgot about that good point. Or like when I read a good book, sometimes I'll put some notes from that book into the journal and it's just, it's almost like a record yes. of your life experience going through life. And it's just, I actually, I regret, I wish I started it when I was even younger because it would have just been so interesting to see like when I was going through high school, like having a crush on a girl and like the way I was thinking, like to have that in contrast, like the, how I am now would have been just so fascinating to look back on. I'm not going to journal yeah. any of my crushes because if somebody <laughs> else comes over and steals my <laughs> journal, holy no, but, shit. But back to that point, Brad was saying like when I complain about work or whatever I'm complaining about, he's always he's saying, well, look how far you've come in three years. Well, how are you supposed to know how far you've come in three years if you don't look back and say, oh, in 2014, my goals for 2015, these are pitiful. I crushed them. But you know, I put them on Instagram. So, <laughs> but that, and that's, that's the key. Is That's, I think, the reason. Part of the reason going back is to see how your thoughts have changed and, and how your goals going forward are going to change. But also part of it is to reflect on how far you've come and what you have accomplished. And that's one of my traditions at the end of the year is like, well, what did I do this year that I'm proud of? Whether it's in sport or relationships or career or life, you know, what what have I done that I'm proud of? Because if you don't think about that, you're gonna go through your life always looking at your new goals and never be happy. So I think that's a very crucial point right. to happiness. And the last thing I'll just add to that is like, and we're one of the very first things we were talking about is like, you know, what would you add to this book now in like a second edition? One of the things would be like, just always be aware that You've never have it fully figured out, and there's yes. always things that you don't know what you don't know. Yes. So that's why it's like you're still there's going to be things you're not even aware of yet. They're going to maybe change the way you think and like change the way you live in a certain way that you just like. And that's why looking back to these journals, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know this at the time. Like, you know, five years ago, six years ago, I didn't do jujitsu, and now look how big of a part of my life it is. It makes me think differently about certain things. And there's so many different things like that that are yet to come. They're yeah. going to change the way I think and the way you know that, that make me happy. Yeah, and that's what people yeah. people talk about. I hear this question a lot. What are your pet peeves? And I think one of my personal pet peeves is that people that don't know what they don't know. And it comes down to awareness too. And I think that's why I love people like Brad in my life because we both challenge each other and we're both, you know, you got to read this. you got to read this. You know, it's going to change the way you think about whatever the book is talking about. And I think we're both very big on, we're both very aware of what we don't know. And I think we're both very, we're obviously our own harshest critics too. You have to be. Um, but we're, so you have to do, you have, you're juggling three things. You're judging being aware of what you don't know being your harshest critic because you want to push yourself, but also balancing those two with also trying to be happy in the now and do things that make you happy. So it's a, it's a very complicated thing you're trying to do, but you can do it all simultaneously and you have to to live a full flourishing life, I think. Kind of a last topic before we wrap up, and, and you guys have just touched on it. It's know what you don't know. You're both big, re like avid readers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are both guys that read a lot. And setting aside just reading, you guys are constantly trying to evolve your brains. You know, you, Brad said, you know, I read, it nourishes my soul. Mm. Earlier on, do you guys feel that your kind of everlasting need to learn more has just genuinely made you guys more happy? And I can start with you, Lawrence, and a finish great, with Brad. That's such a great question because I was talking to my, my good friend Nick, the Jiu-Jitsu Brotherhood, and he said he came to my place and he saw my bookshelves and he, and he asked me, he said, 
do you think that reading has made you a wiser person? Like, has it updated your hard drive that you've become a, a, a much wiser person? And I thought, well, if it has, then I would be like the Dalai Lama, right? I'd be never be so cool and calm. That it'd be, <laughs> not, you know, not Lawrence. But yeah, so it, it hasn't made me into a, into a mental superhero, no. But what it has done is it's given me immense, immense happiness. And I think the same with Brad. And I think, so I think knowing, I think it's one of those things where if you've never left, the, you know, I, never left Illinois or never left the States, you don't know how big the world is. Just like if you've, once you start learning and reading, like if you read The Black Swan or, or um, one of Nassim Taleb's books, he's an incredible, incredible, one of my personal heroes, incredible man. He just drops these quotes and these people and he's like, he's unbelievably well-read in all subjects and he brings that in his books and I love reading him because I'm, I'm like, man, I, there's, so much, there's so much more to know and I think that love for learning is back to, to bring it all the way back before Brad goes, but back in Authentic Happiness, what he talks about is you have to, you do a, a 250 um, question, uh, questionnaire online and it's, it shoots out your top five signature strengths. And when I did it years ago, it might have changed now. Number one was love of learning. Okay, so love of learning. I have to build that into my life. Well, combat sports, martial arts, it's an art form. You know, I've been doing it 25 years, different styles, and I'm always learning. That's one thing physically. And then mentally, like I love learning. I love reading. I love figuring things out. B business is all learning. You know, So I think that I've tailored my life to, to maximize that signature strength that brings me a lot of happiness. Uh, real quick before Brad goes, you, what I was just about to relate, and I've just kind of learned it from listening to you two today, is you said, you know, reading, somebody who doesn't read is like somebody who doesn't leave Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I think that traveling gives you a real big perspective on life mm -hmm. comparative to other people and other cultures. But reading gives you knowledge in somebody else's mindset that you can in take bits and pieces and integrate back into your mindset. Exactly. Whereas Brad said, I traveled, I took bits and pieces, brought it back to my life. But reading, I feel, for me, always makes me happy because you, you add little bits and pieces to your mindset and, and you relate to happiness that way. Joseph Campbell wrote a great book. I think it's called The Power of Myth. And he talked a lot about, he said, when you're reading, there's certain people you'll come across that you just, they, they think like you, but they're more evolved people but they're, they're thinking along the same lines. So for me, Nassim Taleb, he's one of those people. I will devour every one of his books because it just enriches me, but because we think the same. Whereas if there's someone else and he just has a very different way of looking at things, maybe I'm not going to get too much out of his work and it's not going to do much for me. So I think that's important. But you don't know who, you think, who, who thinks like you, who's a more evolved person of you until you start down the road. So I think it's one of those things where we don't even think we, we've definitely lost a lot with social media and, and 29 the, the way we are in 2019 we've definitely lost a bit of the um the capability to really be absorbed in something you know w w our brains are constantly going for that short-term dopamine hit of that new email that new message the new facebook like all these things these very short-term things but i think that honestly and, and i struggle to do it but i have to force myself to do it if you leave your phone in the other room and you get you get a, a coffee and a really good book and you and you dive into there it you know it can change your life so last thing before before i give it to brad but i left my trading company and i started my own trading company and one of the catalysts was my old boss would sit when it was really slow in the pit there was nothing going on you couldn't leave because a broker could come in any minute with a great trade and make you a lot of money so you had to physically stay there but sometimes there was a lot of downtime so the guys would talk nonsense read newspapers and i would always read books in the downtime and he saw me reading and he bought me the fountainhead by ann rand and i read it and it was it was that book was the catalyst for me at the time in my life at 25 i think it was 
or 24 to leave and start my own trading company because the key character in that book, Howard Rourke, he was all of it. He was an incredible architect, but he, he was very outside the system. And he was the hero of the book because he was congruent with himself and he followed his own path in life. And I remember reading that. I was kind of on the fence and I was reading it. And one of my colleagues was like, oh, we should start our own company. But he was just always talking nonsense. And then I read the book and I was like, actually, yeah. And I wrote a business plan. I called my dad, I asked for a loan. Like I did all, all the steps. But the catalyst, the seed was this book that my old boss bought me. How ironic. Yeah, but he so, must hate that he bought that for you. So, yeah, but, but so that book generally is one of the many. But that book did change my life because if I'd never had my own trading company, I wouldn't have had enough money to leave and do my MMA. And so I think that it's incredible that, you know, you can go into a store and you can buy something for $9.99 and, and put a few hours in. And it can literally change your life. And I think that's so incredible. I, I can't stress what a great point that is because one of the things when a book can do that for you and literally change your life, it's like an amazing thing. So one of the things I try to do when I read an inspiring book, like Lawrence has done this a lot and I'm blessed to have a friend who like shares the same interest in reading and knows what books are going to be good for you. So he gave me the David Goggins book um, over Christmas that I read. And so much of it in it was so motivating to do more. I was like, man, I'm not really even, I think I do a lot, but I can still push myself more in jujitsu and train more and do all these things. And one rule I have with myself is like, I can't, while I'm reading this book, I'm enjoying a coffee and saying like, oh, I'm going to do all these things and then get that inspiration and then not do anything. If I'm getting that inspiration and that good feeling, I have to follow through and actually do it. So that's why I keep myself accountable. I write it down. I tell people, but it's like, you can't just, it almost feels like cheating. You get into the feeling, but you're not actually taking the action. You can tell all yourself you want, like, oh, I'm going to do a million things, but unless you put it into action, it's just wishful thinking. So that's like a hard and fast rule I have. Um, but just reading in general, I didn't really even start reading that much until about 15 years ago. As Lawrence knows, I had two books on my bookshelf when I was living in Argentina. I had The Odyssey and The Iliad, and Lawrence was jealous because he hadn't read either of those, even though he was a big reader at the time. And he's like, wow, you got these two books? Like, this is great. And he sent me a whole list of books um, after I left South America, and it got me – I have to thank him and my brother. It got me so into reading, just like based on the list and like what my brother got me into. And it's one of the things I pointed that literally changed my life. Like, I get the same kind of endurance hit – I mean, talking about knowing yourself, about the things that make you feel good, whether it's learning or reading a book, like I feel endorphins from that. So I could be sitting at home on a Friday night and it's like talking about being congruent, knowing yourself, you know, hanging out by myself, reading a good book. It's like maybe people are out having fun going to bars, but it's like I'm completely happy doing that. And I know it. And that's why I want that as a component in my life. And this, you know, I'm completely have fun with that. Well, you've bumped and set yeah. a perfect, almost perfect yeah. ending to this thing because <laughs> this book, Finding Your Way to Happy, Brad's book, buy it, read it. Hold it up. I got these short arms, John. I'm trying. Is it on there? Um, it's a great book. It's You can order it on Amazon, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Order it on Amazon. Read it. It's a quick read. But a lot of the things that we touched about today are in this book. And I've, you know, I'm going to double up on what Lauren said. I really do hope you do a second edition because I like this. And I do think that there is a different perspective you probably have now that could just build on this. It could mm. just be a little addition, a second edition, Brad, second right. edition. So well, I'm going to double yeah. up on it. I think it's a good idea. I appreciate that. Well, I'm actually starting a website with a blog that's going to maybe oh, lead perfect. to that, but yeah. So, so website? Uh, bradanastasia.com. Okay, yeah. so go to bradanastasia.com yeah. to check out his blog. Mm -hmm. I'm going to read it because I, you, you've been a big mentor to me through, I've known you for you know going on seven years, eight years now, but from my business losses to starting businesses to relationship losses to different parts of my life, I look up to you. I look up to Lawrence, obviously, very, very much. And I think I could probably talk to you guys about happiness forever. But uh, John will be stuck in the corner forever, <laughs> quietly. We have some people who said some great things. Um, I'll t touch on them really fast. I know Jim said uh, being self-aware really increased uh, his, his 
personal satisfaction increased in his mid to late 20s when he became self-aware. There's a lot of people saying, you guys are dreamy. Ian said, Lawrence is dreamy. But Justin Metcalf said, only his voice. Brad is the hunk of the duo. I don't, <laughs> I love Justin. don't, don't know if that's happened. But a lot, of, uh, a lot of good comments, and there's a lot of people watching. So if you guys have questions for these two guys, follow-up questions, mm. put them in the comment section. I'm sure they're going to address it. John and I are going to have some cool clips pulled out of this. I'm going to go back and rewatch it. For those of you listening to it, um, you can download us or watching it and want to listen to it. You can download us on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher. See, I got it right. On Google Play and then soon to be iHeartRadio. We're also on YouTube. So we're almost everywhere now. Impressive. So you guys can download us and listen to us and make us as popular as Joe Rogan. Um, any leaving thoughts from either one of you guys? Brief ones on guess, happiness? Yeah, I guess the leading thought is... Ultimately, if you if you look at any decision you ever make in your life, the only reason that you're going to say yes and do it is because you think it's going to lead you happiness to, to happiness. So I think it, like Brad said, it, it really is the ultimate currency. And by reframing things in that way, you you can you can avoid making some needless or or not so good decisions. And I think it's so it's very interesting because Brad and I have evolved to both independently, but it's funny we're great friends we've both become very, very passionate about this subject because ultimately, what else is there? Like we're all, we're all striving for it. So I think that it's just something, it's so fascinating. We're, we're obviously all three of us are in work, works in progress. Um, it's not like we're so happy and we're like, oh, if, you know, levitating in the mornings, blah, blah, blah. Right. You know, we're not, it's, it's in, there is no finish line, but it's such a great thing to think about and, and make some small tweaks or big tweaks in your life. That's a great way to put it. Yeah, and it's just, yeah, I wrote a book on being happy, but I haven't got it totally figured out. I'm not walking around happy all the time. And you don't have to be. It's really figuring out. Like every little addition you can make, if you can incorporate it to your life going forward, that's a victory. And like I said, yes. over time, that's going to accumulate into something significant. But don't think you have to be like walking on clouds the whole day. And, that, and if you're not, there's something wrong. There's not. And if you're not, do things that are positive to try to pull you out of those, those spots. This was awesome. I learned a lot from you guys. You guys have always been, like I said, big mentors of mine. So thanks no, for coming awesome. on the Thank show. Thank you so, so much, much bro. John, what do we got next week? Let's announce next week. Do we have some, anything next week? We got guests? We do. We have uh, next week. Give me one quick second. Let me get a graphic up here. We have a, an amazing lady who has led a fantastic life. Um, her name is Candace Jordan. And she is a columnist for the Chicago Sometimes. Uh, It's a once a week column. And she primarily uh, covers uh, charity events and balls and uh, things that give back to the community. So she, she, I'm not going to give a whole lot away, but she has a lot of stories to tell, very good stories. Uh, And I'm, I'm looking forward to having her in. We're debating on having a second guest. Okay. Um, so that's still up in the air a little bit. But Candace is just cool. a ball of fire. She's I'm excited great. to chat with yeah, Candace then. Absolutely. And since we have our internet set and this streamed well, um, we'll be live uh, next Wednesday at 3 o'clock with perfect streaming internet and video. So check us out next Wednesday at 3 o'clock. Uh, anything else, John? Nope. nope. All set, sir. All right. We'll see you guys next week. In three, two.